Welcome to a Kessler Foundation Spinal Cord Injury Grand Rounds podcast featuring Drs. John O'Neill and Trevor Dyson Hudson of Kessler Foundation and Adria D. Simone of Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation presenting Resource Facilitation Early Inpatient and Assertive Outpatient Vocational Rehabilitation Services for Individuals with Spinal Cord Injury. Dr. John O'Neill is Director for Employment and Disability Research at Kessler Foundation. Dr. Trevor Dyson Hudson is Director for Spinal Cord Injury Research, also at Kessler Foundation. And Adria D. Simone is the Spinal Cord Injury Vocational Resource Facilitator at Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation in West Orange, New Jersey. This is a cooperative project between Kessler Foundation, Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation, Craig H. Nelson Foundation, which funded this demonstration project. This presentation was recorded and produced by Joan Banks-Smith, creative producer for Kessler Foundation, on Thursday, June 7, 2018, at the Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation Conference Center, West Orange, New Jersey, and was hosted by the Northern New Jersey Spinal Cord Injury System, which is supported by a grant from the National Institute on Disability, Independent Living, and Rehabilitation Research, NIDLA grant number 90SI5026. NIDLA is a center within the Administration for Community Living, Department of Health and Human Services. Be sure and check out our next podcast with Jill White, Associate Professor of Medicine and Rehabilitation Medicine, Mount Sinai School of Medicine, and the VA Rehabilitation Research and Development Service as a Research Health Science Specialist. She will be presenting Hypotension in Persons with Spinal Cord Injury, Consequences and Treatments on Thursday, July 26, 2018. Let's listen in. I'm going to talk a little bit about resource facilitation, um, what it is, um, where it was developed, uh, some of the research findings around it, and then we're going to jump into um, its application to individuals with spinal cord injury. Uh, Resource facilitation is the delivery of vocational rehabilitation services uh, to newly injured individuals uh, uh, starting during the inpatient medical rehabilitation stay and uh, followed by systematic and assertive employment uh, service coordination post-discharge with um, uh, the goal of uh, obtaining competitive employment. Uh, the approach is based upon um, um, Malik and colleagues' uh, vocational uh, case coordination approach, which is now known as resource facilitation. Um, the approach uh, was developed uh, for the vocational rehabilitation of individuals with acquired brain injuries. And its efficacy was demonstrated in several studies by Malik and colleagues at the Mayo Clinic a number of years ago. Um, Collectively, these studies um, served about a little over 300 folks. And individuals with acquired brain injuries uh, reported competitive employment without supports um, in from 41 to 56 percent uh, one year following discharge. Um, 
um, through enhanced early intervention services, efforts are made to maximize um, an early buy-in uh, with regard to patients' participation in employment. Um, a resource facilitator, who we now refer to as a vocational resource facilitator, uh, serves as the key staff member and uh, to work with program participants throughout, the, um, throughout to develop a network of medical center and community services. Another important aspect of um, vocational resource facilitation is, the, um, uh, is, is providing uh, patients with SCI with a single point of contact for vocational and follow-along services, and that being the vocational resource facilitator. And this individual, in our case, Adria, ensures that, the patient that a patient-slash-client-centered planning uh, philosophy is followed for all proposed services and interventions. Um, we're going to tag team this. The next uh, presenter will be uh, uh, Dr. Dyson Hudson. And um, go ahead. So, uh, yeah, so as John said, we had so many slides we decided to divide it. So it's a presentation by committee. Um, to, so John gave you this introduction on what a resource facilitator is, vocational resource facilitator. So we're going to kind of talk about how this applies to us in spinal cord injury. So just to give an overview of this presentation, so I'm going to describe some of the service gaps that and why this is we're doing this in spinal cord injury. I'm going to delineate. This is a research project. So this started as an idea. Uh, the Nielsen Foundation funds something called Sustained Impact Projects. So they're research projects, but the idea is that after the funding ends, this project should carry on. There's a, a sustainability to it. So that it'll carry on itself, Somebody, some other institution, or through collaborative efforts, you're able to continue this on without further funding from the funding agency. So. Um, we're going to, John, we're going to, I'm going to go over some of the intervention elements, you know, because this is an intervention. Um, John's going to give an update and describe the project status, where we're at now. Adria is then going to review some of the case studies, some examples of, of this in action, and then we'll open it up for questions and answers. John, thanks. So, so why are we doing this? Well, we know, uh, all of us know that employment is low in people with spinal cord injury. Based on model systems data, we know it's about 12% at year one and 28% at year 10. And this is really just a crime. You know, you have these, it's a mobility impairment. There's no reason why people can't be back to work. Um, and what's happened over the years, now this data, this is probably older model systems data even from publications. So it could be even lower. Because you know we're seeing that hospital stays are becoming increasingly shorter, right? So during that time, there really isn't the opportunity 
to present the concept of going back to work. Therapists are focusing on just some of the instrumental activities of daily life, just transferring, bowel program, all these things, and people don't even have time to wrap their minds about going back to work. It may be some individuals who are very motivated, but it's very challenging. And for a lot of people, uh, the thought of even returning to work just seems so foreign to them. So, and also what's happened is there's a greater demand on state VR agencies to provide services to other disabled populations. So children with developmental disabilities. So it's not only dealing with physical disabilities, but this much larger population of people with uh, developmental disabilities. So if you think about it, spinal cord injury is really a, a small population when it comes to all the disability disabled populations that, that VR agencies are dealing with. So people with spinal cord injury can fall through the cracks with these agencies. And then what's happened also is there's this limited follow-up post-discharge. So it's really hard. People get lost in the community. As I said, they fall through the cracks. Next slide. So, you know, we, we talk about this as kind of back to the future. So back in the day, so I was injured 26 years ago. And back in the day, I, my hospitalization was five months. I could have stayed a little longer if I wanted. But I had a, a my vocational uh, counselor was very involved during my hospitalization. She was already making connections out into the community for me, uh, connecting me with VR, vocational rehabilitation services out in the community, helping me get my wheelchair get my car modified, getting all these things because there was time to have this discussion while I was also doing my therapy. Um, so really what we're trying to do, in fact, there was somebody who was part of our team because this is a collaborative effort between us, Department of Vocational Rehabilitation in New Jersey, Kessler Institute, and also United Spinal Association. So there was a time actually when VR used to come here and meet with the team um, on a monthly basis. And they would discuss the patients and how these individuals could go back to work, even have trial work programs, internships. There was a lot more of an investment and an involvement. So what we wanted to try to do was recreate this. And this vocational resource facilitator allows us to have this person who provides, meets the individual when they're newly injured, and some people are motivated right away. They're like, how can I get back working? And there are other people who are just, I can't have this discussion right now. So the resource facilitator says, that's okay. You know, I'll continue to follow up with you even after you've been discharged. We'll have this discussion as an ongoing thing. I'll make calls. I'll follow up with you as you come here for outpatient therapy if you're doing that. So let's talk when you're finally ready. This person was also reaching out to and coordinating with VR. So really what it is, is it's this point person that's holding the person with a spinal cord injury's hand through the whole process, making sure, because there's so many great resources out there. There is voc rehab. There's uh, groups like United Spinal. So one of the, our other partners was United Spinal Association through their own uh, sustained impact project had developed the Pathways to Employment program where they developed these state-specific guides, and one of those guides was for New Jersey, so we could use that. They also had what they called 
You've heard of peer mentors. These were employment peer mentors. So these were working people with spinal cord injury who would be there to, you know, for a person who has a higher level injury, it's uh, how do I go back to work? For that person who was doing manual labor, how do I go back to work? How do I reinvent myself? So this is all the project that we were bringing to the Kessler at the time. And the goal was by t December 2018, within the grant was to recruit 50 people with spinal cord injury who are interested in going back to work from the inpatient side. And the goal was to see and hope that our target of 30 people uh, who would be competitively employed by the, that time. So this is Adria. So an overview of the intervention. Um, each week, the, um, myself, the vocational resource facilitator, joins the clinical team meeting. So as we know, um, this is a great opportunity to receive updates on functional status, as well as learn about barriers to community reintegration or independent living. It's an opportunity to discuss information about discharge planning and discharge destination. And because the therapists and the doctors are having just by nature the most face time with the patients, it's an opportunity for them to kind of turf some of their questions or make a referral for vocational services to me during those meetings. Once they are linked to vocational services, it provides me an opportunity to share back with the team the updates and how they're progressing towards reaching those vocational services at a state level, but also some elements of their job that the team might benefit from learning in order to introduce some type of technology or give me some information on how to best help them. <clears throat> Once the referral is made, um, I meet with our patients um, outside of their therapy schedule, schedule and introduce different work concepts. And this is really when the individual vocational counseling begins. It allows me an opportunity to sit with patients and learn about what their goals are for work as well as their family goals. And we do this by discussing their job at length. Um, we do that through patient report. Um, sometimes the patient has access to a job description which we're able to reference and utilize and, and look to. Um, and sometimes when their job is very complex and kind of hard for me to wrap my head around, I do my own research. Um, sometimes I'll get onto the internet and I'll research their company and learn about the institution that they're working for. I've actually found in some instances I'm able to go online under their career tab and find a position that isn't theirs but that is posted um, and learn exactly how the employer is um, advertising that position. So it helps me get the most information that I can in order to learn about their job. <clears throat> um, I know we talked a lot about VR in here, but how many, pe how many people in here know about DVR? Raise of hands. Nice, lots of hands. For anybody who didn't raise their hand, um, as we discussed earlier, it's the New Jersey State Vocational Agency, and their mission and their goal is to help people with disabilities obtain employment and maintain employment. And they do that by funding them through a variety of different services, both medical and vocationally related, as that is um, one of the milestones that they might need in order to help them reach employment. If an individual expresses to me that they are interested in learning to be eligible for DVR services, then I'm in a unique role where I'm able to um, collect all the information and documentation that is needed in order to make for a quick referral process. The goal and the hope always is to try to have um, the DVR counselor come here to Kessler and meet with our patients while they're an inpatient. And as we mentioned earlier, sometimes the idea of work for our folks is down the road. And I always tell them that we're planting the seed early and that when we have enough energy or it's the right time, we can put some more, some more energy into that seed and watch it grow. Um, connecting with the DVR counselor at this level 
helps to establish some expectations and infuse a sense of hope for our patients that when ready and when more appropriate, they're, they're already linked to a service that's going to be there for them and help them gain that functional independence post inpatient. Um, we're going to focus on some outcomes as of, um, as of the end of December of 2017. And um, this slide is a bit complicated, but I would encourage you to scan over to the far right and um, look at traumatic SCI one year post uh, discharge. Um, if you remember from Trevor's comments, the National Model Systems Injury uh, System um, uh, records about a 12% employment at one year post-discharge amongst folks who have traumatic SCI. So this is the primary benchmark that we're using to compare our results to. And um, as you can see, uh, 28 folks at the end of the at the end of December of 2017 um, were in the uh, uh, vocational resource facilitators caseload, and um, uh, uh, 20 had not returned to work, but eight had returned to work, which was a 28% return return to work. Uh, rate. And uh, essentially, this is preliminary data, but essentially the vocational resource facilitation intervention had more than doubled uh, the return to work rate uh, benchmark that the national model systems data has uh, recorded. Um, Adria is going to take over now and she's going to present uh, some case studies which I believe you'll find much more interesting than the boring statistics. I'm going to present to you the case on Megan. Um, I didn't directly work with her. Um, I'm fairly new to this position, so excuse me for referencing some of my notes. Um, but as we can see, um, this case we as a team felt it was important to share because it really demonstrates the benefit of interdisciplinary collaboration as well as employer involvement. So in Megan's story, um, she had just completed field work in Florida. And on her drive home, she began to experience some back pain followed by foot drop and then loss of movement in both of her legs. She had a spinal tumor that ruptured. Her job working for the U.S. Department of Agriculture is, is very physical. She hikes, kayaks, climbs terrain in order to collect samples of both plants and animals for research. <clears throat> her employer was motivated and they donated some paid time off for her through the company's leave donation program, which allowed her the extended time that she needed in order to be involved in both her inpatient and aggressive outpatient therapy schedule here at Kessler. She demonstrated gains in ambulation wearing a CAFO brace. Um, Megan's employer then supported her to gradually transition back to work. First she started for the first month in a clerical position, and then when, um, when she felt ready to re-enter some of the field-based tasks, her employer ran the assignments past her to kind of get her gauge and comfort level on, does she feel safe and does she feel ready to take on this type of task? So each week she gradually increased her work hours and her work assignments until she returned back to, back to work full time. <clears throat> she was managing her work well until the cold weather set in and Megan was having difficulty ambulating the rain, snow and cold temperatures with the CAFO brace because this brace didn't fit into a snow boot which is what she needed. 
<clears throat> At the time, her outpatient therapist introduced the Bionis foot drop system, which I'm sure most of you are familiar with. If anybody isn't familiar with it, it's a brace that sends electrical stimulation to the muscles and tendons responsible for lifting the foot at the appropriate intervals during ambulation to prevent any foot drop. <clears throat> Megan needed this brace in order to complete the functions of her job in this cold weather. So this is where the vocational resource facilitator stepped in. And as we can kind of see, um, she didn't need the vocational resource facilitation, facilitation services as an inpatient, but once returning to work, she ran into a hiccup. And this is where she, having that link with the VRF services allowed her to persist on. Um, she met with the vocational resource facilitator at the time who helped Megan qualify for DVR services in hopes of having the $9,000 brace funded for. After multiple meetings and conversations with DVR, it was determined that funding could not be provided because Bionis was not an approved vendor for DVR. <clears throat> so Megan is quite the self-advocate. She took it among herself to call Bionis and ask what's the reason for not being eligible for um, uh, an approved vendor. So they encouraged them to complete the vendor application and they spoke with DVR and encouraged them also to accept the application. Megan's outpatient therapist at the time, Karen Bake, who I don't think is here today, was tremendous. Um, she wrote a letter to DVR describing how and why Megan needed this brace, also encouraging them to um, move forward with accepting the vendor application. So after six months of trying, it paid off. Um, DVR approved Bionis as one of the approved vendors for, for, for uh, state DVR. And a side note that through Megan's self-advocacy, um, self she learned that New Jersey was the only state agency that, didn't, that Bionis was not an approved vendor for. So for whatever reason, um, they were missing that connection. <clears throat> so their persistence paid off, and now they are officially an approved vendor. DVR funded all but $500 of the $9,000 brace. That included the unit, a 14-month supply of pads, and a two-year warranty. When Bionis learned of her story, they waived the remaining $500 balance. So today, she's flourishing in her career. She's using the Bionis brace. Um, and she's continuing to receive support from her employer to um, make sure that she's able to pre-screen any of the field-based assignments to determine her level of comfort um, and also her safety. And I, this demonstrates to us the commitment of the employer to maintain, maintain such a valuable employee like Megan. So this case is really a true example of some of the obstacles that our, our patients might run into, um, some unforeseen obstacles as well. Um, and it also reinforces the, the need for interdisciplinary collaboration between inpatient, outpatient, and state, um, state professionals to kind of help Megan get the resources that she needs. Okay. Good on time. Okay. The next individual I'd like to report on his name is Ricky, and this case um, is a good example of gaps in services. Um, Ricky, uh, he sustained his injury through a motor vehicle accident unrelated to work. He was employed full-time at FedEx for six years as a driver. Um, while an inpatient, he was confident and felt strongly that he was unable to return to his job due to the high level of his injury, the driving demands of his position, but also the physical demands of loading and unloading the truck, as well as walking to deliver packages. While, in, while he was an inpatient, he was linked to DVR, and with meeting with them, he was unsure what he was able to do or what he wanted to do. So one of the services that DVR provides is career guidance and career exploration. 
His DVR counselor uh, recommended that he participate in a 10-day comprehensive vocational evaluation to highlight his strengths, his interests, and come up with a vocational goal. Unfortunately, the agency that he had went to was not equipped um, to provide assessments for somebody with his upper extremity limitations due to his injury. So he's beginning to feel frustrated. The vocational evaluator wasn't sure what to do, so she paused testing and recommended him for an assistive technology evaluation, which was great, but after the evaluation, he was kind of back at, stay at, at uh, phase one because he didn't have the tools that he needed in order to continue testing. During this time, the vocational resource facilitator at this facility transitioned out to another position, and um, Ricky took it among himself to discontinue testing. When the DVR counselor found out about this, that's where some miscommunication kind of fell through. Um, it, they were interpreting it, it that he wasn't ready for work, that he was non-compliant, and that he wasn't committed to what they were recommending. So when I got a hold of him, um, it was focusing on what his patient, what his vocational goal was. And the one thing that Ricky kept saying to me that he felt most motivated and inspired by is when he would come here to Kessler, he would see individuals who were wheelchair users working. So he thought, I want to find a job in a customer service or clerical setting where I can work because I'm seeing other people with a similar injury to me working those positions. <clears throat> so I. I made a lot of effort to collaborate in a meeting with Ricky, myself, the DVR counselor, um, the vocational evaluator, and the assistive technology professional who, um, pro who conducted the evaluation to reinforce his vocational goal and advocate for the remainder of his vocational testing to be tailored and tweaked towards work in a customer service setting. So a status update today, he's now um, completed the 10 days of the testing, and he is now completing a work trial experience um, in a hospital setting in their customer service, um, customer service clerical position in the dietary department where he is using different assistive technology. So he's using headphones um, to listen to a patient's order and then a tablet and a stylus pen to enter the order into the system, which is then processed. So he's developing skills that he had not had before, and he's also trialing out assistive technology um, in a real life work setting. Okay. And last but not least, we have an individual, Miguel. <clears throat> Miguel's story is interesting because he had um, an SCI and a TBI. Um, he had a motor, ve motor vehicle accident where he sustained these injuries. He's an inactive Marine at the time of his injury. Um, as an inpatient, the vocational resource facilitator linked him to DVR. Um, after he when he was discharged from inpatient, he was in our outpatient um, departments in both the SCI gym for therapy, but CRP department for cognitive therapy. I was working in CRP at the time, so I was able to collaborate with, the, with Mary Lee, who was the vocational resource facilitator. So together, we were collaborating about what his cognitive deficits were and how that might be impacting his return to work, but also educating her on the compensatory strategies that were being introduced and taught to him so that Mary Lee can then take that information and give that to a potential work site or job coach, wherever his next steps were in order to help him thrive and be successful um, in that area. His family was involved and helped us network and identify a job placement for him, um, dispatching at a local police department where he was placed. <clears throat> 
So DVR's role is that they help provide home modifications for him so his home is completely accessible, vehicle modifications as well, so he's driving himself to work, and also supported employment through a job coach. So all of that discussion with Mary Lee, myself, the other therapist he worked with to identify what his, what his strengths might be, but incorporating family, family connection as well really helped him with his placement. Status update today, he is still working with the same employer, however his position has shifted and he's a bit dissatisfied with his current work roles. Um, so I'm currently working with him on trying to find ways to maybe um, speak with his employer about taking on more work or looking for other ways that he could be utilized within that department. Um, and I'm also helping him to access some other services, um, mental health mental health services through the VA so that he can continue to thrive and live independently. So there, I, this was a good example that we wanted to demonstrate as well because it shows how he was involved in different aspects of the Kessler system um, and that sometimes VRF services are needed post-placement and how things can change when somebody is at work so and that can really um, be a challenge for a person with a disability. So those are our three case studies that we have provided. For more information about Kessler Foundation and our researchers, go to KesslerFoundation.org. That's K-E-S-S-L-E-R-F-O-U-N-D-A-T-I-O-N.org. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, listen to us on SoundCloud, and tweet with us on Twitter.